0: and welcome to living in with and for christ a podcast dedicated to looking at the things around us from a christian perspective seeking to give glory to christ in any and every situation today pastor brian and myself will continue our discussion on eschatology the study of end times so settle up boys and girls here we go Welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us today. We're going to be continuing our discussion on a very simple topic for me um, because I won't have much to say. I'm going to sit back and, and let you do the uh, discussion here, and uh, I'll throw in a, a question from a simple-minded fellow every now and then. Yeah, so. Eschatology. I think
1: that's a French word for hating cats, right? <laughs> as far as I know it is. Yeah. <laughs> (laughs) no the study of end times and so today um we're just going to talk about the primary views kind of some of the history behind it and you know how you kind of weed through the millennial maze so to speak and i actually have a book i'm going to recommend if you just want an overview overview of the various topics and kind of give some history on it um but the one thing that we you know as we talked about last week we just never want this to be divisive this is really a blessing. The other thing I want to just lightly say is I know the podcast is a little late and part of that's me because I'm sure you can hear it in my voice. Yeah. You know, I, I promise this I'm not going through puberty again. This <laughs> is Barry White's brother, Billy. Oh my word. <laughs> Billy White. That or like <laughs> smoker Brian yeah. Ricky. you know, but uh, I just didn't have any voice last uh, week. Crowd's I mean, going around. Yeah, Man, I would wake up in the morning and like I tried to Open my mouth and literally nothing would come out. Yeah. So, and I recorded one by
0: myself, and we decided not to put it on because it didn't have any pertinent it information. Was heret-
1: <laughs> it was heretical. No, <laughs> no. it w- it was all denounced by the third and fourth <laughs> <Yeah>. ecumenical <laughs> councils.
0: <laughs> there you go.
1: <laughs> all right, so let's just jump in with this. And again, you know, we we are going to try to approach this from a very airplane view perspective of these things. And so, uh, as we start into this, there were three primary views in the early church. And when I say early church, I'm going to say the first six centuries and then from on from there. Um, One of them began to really die out and has mostly died out to this day. And so those three major views are this. Premillennialism, which talks about a literal thousand-year reign of Christ on earth. It's also called in history, Kiliasm, or (laughs) A Amillennialism, is the other one where that word "awe" means no. And so there's no literal 1,000-year reign of Christ. And, and as you're beginning to see this, this all centers around uh, that text in Revelation chapter 20, verses 1 through 6, where it speaks about the two resurrections, the two deaths, and the 1,000-year reign of Christ. An Amillennial would look at that 1,000-year reign as a symbolic picture of Christ reigning through the church. Then there's post-millennialism, which is very similar to amillennialism. However, it differs in that it sees the gospel overtaking the world, and everybody being all nations being converted to Christianity. And then, literally, because of the overtaking of the gospel, there will be peace. And they won't they won't put it like a, a you know a specific time. They won't say a thousand years, but that millennial reign is um the is what the gospel has fostered in the world, and that there's this wonderful time of grace and peace on the earth. I would vote for that. Yeah. But I, I think see. we're headed the wrong way. But if you think about post-millennialism from that early church perspective, you can see how that was beginning to happen, especially as Constantine came in, not only made Christianity legal, but then made it the state religion. You know, post-millennialism back then kind of looked appealing and it looked like, hey, th- this could happen. Right. Right. Um, because thousands of people were being baptized, thousands of people were being converted, and it was spreading too many nations. So I can understand why someone would would see that. But wouldn't you, wouldn't you say today
0: we're—so if you took the beginning of time up into the peak of the church and where we're at now, wouldn't you say we're further away now
1: than they were at the very beginning? That's a hard thing to say because there are—I say yes and no to that. You know, so I think that there was a purity to the church because it was illegal and you could lose your life for being a bishop (laughs) and for being a proclaimer of Christ, just like it was in the first century. Um, And then, you know, I would say for about 100 to to 200 years after it became illegal, a lot of great things happened to it. But that's also when government power, politics, and corruption began to not only seep into the church— but then some of that corrupt elements of the church se- seeped into the Roman Empire. Right. And that's when we kind of see the melding of power and how the popes had so much power and, and all of that. And so you get into the 7th century and later, and post-millennialism kind of is like, oh, no way. <laughs> Not unless something drastic happens. And so, as you can see, post-millennialism kind of... Kind of kind of I don't know, just lost its its, I don't know, right. popularity. Right. Um, and maybe even legitimacy, you know what I mean? But early on in the Christian church, and this is kind of interesting actually, so if you think about um the different views, if I and I'm being honest, and even though I may not hold to this view, but I want to be honest about scholarship, there is more evidence of a premillennialism, the classic premillennialists, you know, um existing in the early church all the way back to the first century. Um, There's indications of this in the book called the Didache, which we've talked about before, which basically means teaching, and it was kind of like a a small, very short, brief manual for the church, and it does talk about a millennial perspective. You can read it that way, uh, but you can also read it kind of a different way, too. Uh, Another martyr, Justin Martyr, um, early church father, uh, in the second century, uh, it kind of was around between 100 and 165 A.D., he was definitely premillennial. He made that very, very clear. And he called anyone who was amillennial false, false in their thinking. And so uh, another early church father, Irenaeus, Uh, around that same time, 130 to 200 AD, um, same kind of thing, was very adamant that there was going to be a literal 1,000-year reign of Christ. Um, After the 2nd century, beginning in the 3rd and 4th century, a strong opposition to premillennialism really rose up. Both Origen and Augustine strongly opposed premillennialism. And so when the major doctrines of the Trinity... The two natures of Christ uh, and the nature you know, of Christ's you know, body and all of that stuff was being fleshed out in those, those two centuries, that's when amillennialism really honestly began to take over. And premillennialism, though it never died out, it really subsided as a view that was grasped onto by the church. Okay. So, you kind of see a fluctuation. But then in time, you know, as you kind of get back into the Enlightenment time and then you kind of get in today, premillennialism is actually kind of overtaken, I would say, the Protestant evangelical church. And I would say that most Protestant evangelicals will believe in some sort of premillennialism. Oh, yeah. I would. I mean, growing up Baptist, yeah.
0: you know, in the South, I mean, it is definitely a view there that... Um,
1: you know, there's going to be a rapture, and yep. Christ is going to reign on the earth. For... And there are some denominations who have taken a stand on that. It's like this is what we believe. You right. know, the Catholic Church, at the Eastern Orthodox Church, has always been amillennial. And um, for I mean, there, I'm, there's going to be some within those two faiths, but as a as a church, primarily hold to that view. Now, the Eastern Orthodox Church, they got a little feisty. So I don't, I know that many of us know uh, the Nicene Creed. And there's a line in the Nicene Creed uh, where it talks about Christ. And so I'm going to kind of jump in partway through the Nicene Creed. It's talking about Jesus. And he shall come again with glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom shall have no end. Now that statement, his kingdom shall have no end, was definitely to fight against a heresy that thought that Jesus was going to rule for a short time. But the Eastern Orthodox Church says no this is a um, statement that um, says that premillennialism or chiliasm is a heresy. Really? Yeah, because of the thousand-year reign of Christ. And so the Eastern Orthodox Church would say that this council, the Council of Constantinople— um, proclaimed that premillennialism or chiliasm was a heresy. Now, I don't know that you can really prove that, quite frankly. I mean, you look back at history, and I don't know that there's enough evidence to support that. And I'm sorry to my Eastern Orthodox brothers and sisters. Um, but again, we, we want to be honest about this. Uh, but it definitely could mean that. It could suggest that. Um, but obviously, premillennial, the whole idea of premillennialism really lasted the test of time. And, and obviously prevalent, again, in the American Protestant church, as it is, there's probably a lot of Protestants around the world. So, I mean, my wife grew up, you know, Assembly of God, and they take an official stand on it. You know, I grew up um, Lutheran, Missouri Senate, and they take an official stand on millennialism. you know? Yeah. And so, you just kind of have that. And so, those are the two primary views that exist today are going to be premillennialism and then amillennialism. And so, That's the two views. One believes in a literal 1,000-year reign of Christ. The other does not believe in a literal reign of Christ, but that 1,000 years is a picture of completeness where Christ is reigning in and through his church until he comes again. So one is symbolic and one is a little bit more literal.
0: So, I mean, when you look at these two, I mean, we, we talked earlier about, you know, you can have these views, but you you gotta realize you could be wrong. Oh yeah. I mean you could very well be wrong. But wouldn't you wouldn't you rather be a millennial and be wrong and you got raptured?
1: I think as opposed to I don't know I looking think, for the rapture and that's a good question. And so let's get into the different views of premillennial just for a second. Cut. You got it. because if I you know, if I was gonna choose one based on, on my selfishness, Dispensational premillennialism sounds awful good. (laughs) And so what I mean is this. So there's two, within premillennialism, there's two primary views. I know there's derivatives of these, but we're going to just talk about the two primary ones. One's called dispensational premillennialism. If you've ever watched or read the Tim LaHaye books, um, or there was some movie series also. um, What was that called? Left Behind? Yeah, Left Behind series. That is dispensational premillennialism where Christians will be raptured or taken up into heaven before the tribulation. So both premillennial views believe in a seven-year tribulation period where the church will be attacked like it's never been attacked before. Um, That seven years kind of is primarily taken out of Daniel chapter 9. I think it's what, verses 23 and 24 Um, And they interpret it that way, and that's where they come up with that seven years. But dispensational premillennialism believes that the Christians who are alive during that time will not go through the tribulation and will be raptured. So if I were to choose one that that I wish would be right, it's that one. And I think that's where most people that have this view sit. I do. I, I agree with that. And so in that view... The Christians are raptured at the beginning of the tribulation. I know that there are some who believe it's in the middle and then also at the end. And actually a classic premillennialist would say that the rapture or the Christians who are alive at that time will be taken up at the end of the tribulation. So the church, in a classic premillennial view, like what's rooted in the early church fathers, they believe that the church will go through the tribulation and then Jesus will return for his literal 1,000-year reign.
0: So so who... Who were the classic premillennials? The, the two,
1: like Irenaeus, um, Justin Martyr, some of the early church fathers. But today, today, who? Oh, There's quite they? a bit. In fact, by um, the dean of my uh, seminary was a classic premillennialist uh, who taught at the seminary. Um, it was very interesting. In my seminary, we had um, classic premillennialists, we had amillennialist teaching, and we also had people who did ascribe to dispensational premillennialism. See, I could, I could see
0: someone being a, a classic premillennial
1: yeah.
0: and and respect them for it because th- they're not taking the easy way out there. Well, they're not I, giving themselves a pass.
1: I agree. And if, if you were to ask me, and again, I say this with grace, and so don't send me any hate texts. Yeah. <laughs> We're to love our neighbor as ourselves, and we are Christ will know that we are just his disciples by our love for one another. So, and love covers a multitude of sins. There you go. So, with all of that, um, biblically, a classic premillennial makes more sense, in my opinion, than dispensational premillennialism. Uh, I think there's more scriptural evidence for it. Uh, in seminary, I had to write a paper, and I had to defend classic premillennialism and amillennialism. I got an A plus on it. My teacher came back saying, "The dean of the seminary, who yep. believed in classic premillennialism, he's like, I've never read a more non biased paper in my life, Brian." He's like, "This was written fabulously," and I go, "That's because yeah. I don't know," <laughs> and he laughed at that, and he actually encouraged me. He go to come, you know, to come down on a view, and I have to say that it didn't happen. Probably for the next seven to eight years. It just kind of one day I'm like, Okay, I, I think this makes more sense. So
0: so why why do you think he encouraged you to come down on a view? I mean what what's wrong with
1: looking at these and just going I, don't I, think there's know. A, I think there's this kind of old-school approach to being a pastor where you, you kind of have to at least have well, a I guess answer. in your, in your yeah. position. You know what I'm yeah. saying? I yeah. mean, people come to me and they ask me for these things. And um, I will say that um, I didn't do that. Actually, when I, I came in, I was called to Calvary out in Arlington, South right. Dakota, and that's when we met. Right. Um, I really didn't have a solid conviction. Um, but I think that if you know, someone held a gun to my head and said, choose, I would probably have chosen amillennialism. Okay. Um, but again... You know, there you but go. But
0: for the average person, is there anything wrong with? Okay, I I think this, um, but
1: I'm not gonna I'm not gonna dig in on this. No, I think the, the key. There's a couple things I want to say to that. Um, so yes and no. It is the answer to your question. The yes part is that you if you focus on the Nicene Creed stuff, the stuff I read earlier. You know, that on the third day, Christ rose again according to the Scriptures. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he shall come again with glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom shall have no end. We all believe that, no matter what view we hold. Absolutely. Because the interesting thing about the book of Revelation is from chapter 20, verse 6 on to the end, the next you know, mm-hmm. chapter and a half, right. all the views agree on it, wow. on how to interpret that. So we all know that a new heaven and a new earth is coming. We all agree that Christ will bring the new Jerusalem and we will exist in a place of no more pain, no more sorrow, no more nor death. And and we all agree on that. And so hallelujah and amen. So all going to the same place, just yeah. getting there. We think we're getting there in different yeah, different you know, ways. But on on the other side of it is that That statement in Revelation, blessed is the person who reads these words out loud. And so there is a true blessing to studying this. Again, as we talked about the last episode, the key is humility and the willingness to be wrong. So even though I say I'm an millennial, I honestly... I don't care if I'm wrong, right? because I know what the Nicene Creed says is true. Jesus will come again. Um, and so ultimately, I guess I'm, I am a pan-millennialist, <laughs> meaning that everything is going to pan out in the end, you know? And Jesus is going to come back. He has won the victory, and I will live with him for all eternity because of what Christ has accomplished, Right. not because of anything I've done, but because Christ has won the victory. I'm trusting in him and in that victory, and I will seek to do that all the days of my life so
0: we focus on that this is i mean obviously it's important but let me ask you this so uh when we read scripture when you sit down and you read scripture yourself you're you're supposed to to pray that you know god would be with you and, and give you insight and and help you to discern you know what what's going on there um do you think this is a place that that can happen in revelations
1: because it's such it's such There's so much there. Yeah. In in a way, you actually kind of read my mail. And so um, when I stepped into being a pastor, because I became a pastor halfway through my life, so at the age of 40, I jumped into seminary, and um, I started—I formulated a prayer. I remember I was studying uh, Solomon's request to God as he was was, uh, stepping into his father's shoes into becoming king of Israel, and um, he asked for wisdom— to rule God's people, not for His glory, but for God's name'sake and for His for God's people. Right. And God's like, okay, that's an unselfish prayer. I'm going to give you that, and I'm like, ooh, I'm gonna I'm gonna take that. Okay, so what I did is I took and I, I wrote out a prayer, and I still pray it to this day. God, open up your Scriptures as much as your will will allow in my life, but as you open up the Scriptures and impart knowledge to me, also increase the humility in proportion to the knowledge you give me. Wow, and I, I've prayed that over my life, and honestly, that's when revelation kind of just started to kind of like, oh, okay, yeah, this is kind of what I think, you know. And I have legitimate reasons, and uh, the way that we interpret Scripture. Right. But um, I thought it'd be beneficial. I'm gonna, I was gonna have you read chapter twenty. Um, let's start with verses one through three, and kind, of, we'll kind of talk about the basic differences of interpreting. You know, from an amillennial perspective, but also then from a premillennial perspective. So why don't you read Revelation chapter 20, verses 1 through 3.
0: Okay. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding his hand in his hand the key to the bottomless pit, and a great chain. And he seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years, and threw him into the pit, and shut it, and sealed it over him, so that he might not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were ended after that he must be released for a little
1: while so I'm going to go with the easiest interpretation first uh, a millennial uh, the thousand year reign that's talked about here everything is as it says you know the, the devil is a dragon that's that's been defined for us. Uh, an angel and the, the reason that Satan is now bound, we all agree on, is because of Christ's life, death, and resurrection, the new covenant that Christ has been, has poured out. Um, when this plays out is, this is where it differs. So for an all this happened upon Christ's resurrection and his ascension. And so we see that thousand years as a symbolic picture, much like it says in the Psalms and the Proverbs that God owns a thousand cattle on a thousand hills. Well, there isn't only a thousand cattle, especially right. out here in South Dakota. <laughs> There's a whole lot more than that. And there isn't only a thousand hills in the world. And so that, that term thousand means the completeness. It's a symbolic picture of completeness. And so the thousand year reign of the church of Christ through his church is a symbolic picture of his reign in and through the church and the apostolic succession that he has left us, left us in the scriptures.
0: Okay, you just said a mouthful there. So how would a, a, just an average guy reading Revelations, we we just went through you talked about the angel was you know real the dragon is real satan the devil all that and then all of a sudden it goes to something symbolic and, and that's the, the same
1: yep no and that's a great great comment and that's that's an argument for premillennialism and i i i give credence to that right. um but again you've got aspects of old testament prophecies of jesus that do exactly the same thing that he talks about um we we just re- actually read through this in, um, Isaiah chapter 11 where it talks about he will not decide disputes by what his eyes see. He will not, you know, or decide disputes by what his ears hear. He, he will judge the people with equity. And Jesus did that. We see the woman at the well. We see right. all, um, Zacchaeus. We see all of the different, the, 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 the woman who was a prostitute that came in and busted in to Simon's house when, when Jesus was there. And Simon's thinking, you know, if he only knew what kind of woman this was. You know what I'm saying? Right. And so, so we see those Old Testament prophecies and we have to understand that there is symbolism but also there are some literal things in there too the thing about old testament prophecies of christ as we see them interpreted for us in the new testament and quoted in the new testament by jesus and the apostles you know and the writers of the new testament we then know how to interpret those properly we don't have that key yet and so prophecy because it's a literary format and we talked about this last week a little bit you have to approach it that way. It is going to flip in and out of those things. And so some of those things will be literal and some of them, you know, are going to be symbolic. Now, I know that a premillennialist would be like, oh, you know, yeah. g- <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's a cop out. And I, I, I understand that. And I can understand why someone thinks that. So let's go to the premillennial view. They just basically take it as it says right there. It's just. You know, at, at the end of the church age, Satan will be bound, and this happens at the end of the church age and the beginning, or the end of the tribulation, okay? So, this is when, um, so let's just talk about a dispensational view, okay? Okay. So, the tribulation's about to happen, the the people who are alive in Christ, they are raptured. Gone. You know, all yep. the non-believers stay on earth. Okay. And then the tribulation of seven years. And then Jesus returns for the literal reign. And that's when Satan is bound then for the next thousand years. And at the end of that thousand years, Satan is then released where he can do his damage. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. So they just, they're taking it literally. Okay. And, and I can understand that. I understand why someone would do that. But I think what we should do is maybe kind of cut ties here and just go into a part two and kind of continue this conversation. Uh, we'll kind of recap what we already talked about because I know I, I was teasing yeah. David that I was prepping him for the show and I said, open up wide, here's the fire hose of theology. <laughs> and I, I got it. You did a great job, but, I, but I've got more questions than I do answers. <laughs> and and, that, and that's what I want to address because um, I think it's important. I don't want to just leave people with this, but yet, you know, we're, we're hovering around 25, 26 minutes here Perfect. and we want to keep these in bite-sized chunks so we don't overwhelm people. But the one thing I want to leave you with is this, is that Christ has won the victory. And that victory has been extended to all believers. And that victory is secure. And one day he will return, regardless of how exactly it plays out. Christ will return a second time just as he did his first. Because we serve a God who keeps his promises. Hallelujah. Amen.
0: Thank you for joining us. Please check us out on Instagram and Facebook and feel free to leave a comment or suggest a topic. Please join us next week as we continue this discussion on eschatology. God bless you and have a great day.